So uh, John chapter 6, and uh, let me begin the sermon today by asking a question. Have you ever had someone befriend you for the wrong reason? You know, the relationship began, and you thought, oh, this person likes me, this person wants to be my friends, but, but then finally, you know, as, as the relationship goes on, it strikes you, this person doesn't like me, this person just wants to get something from me. I remember a few years ago, I, was, uh, I had a friend, we hadn't seen each other for years and years, and, and uh, he called me out of the blue, and, and this guy, I, I really like this guy, he's a really good friend, and, uh, you know, I respected him, you know, he was a church leader, and he starts talking to me, and, the, and then, you know, suddenly in the conversation, it occurred to me that this guy didn't want to just, you know, reconnect, he wanted my money. And so he started asking, you know, making the ask about money for a church plant that he was involved in, you know, and it, and it felt, you know, icky. I was like, go take a shower, man. That's, why did you do that? And of course, in, in, in a consumer-oriented culture where people are often treated as commodities, we have developed a name for this sort of thing. It's called a strategic relationship. Right? You make these relationships, and they're strategic. They're designed to get where you can get something out of it. Right? And has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been the object of, of somebody's strategic relationships? You know, it's easy to justify this when you're trying to do it yourself. You know, you thought, oh, I'm just trying to raise money for my church plant, like my friend. Or I'm just trying to, you know, uh, build my business. Or I'm just trying to, you know, move ahead in life. But if you're on the receiving end of a strategic relationship, how do you feel? You feel used. You feel like a means to an end. You feel exploited. Now, what we're going to consider today is, have you ever related to God in this way? Have you ever related to God in a way where you, you don't really want him, but you want something from him? Right? Have you ever, uh, has this dynamic ever played out in your relationship with God, where, where you are using God for a strategic relationship? Now, I know there are very crass forms of this, you know, kind of the name it and claim it, you know, I just want to, I'm using God to, uh, to uh, become rich or something like that. But there's more subtle forms. I remember there was a church in uh, Long Beach where I grew up, and every Easter they would have a raffle to get people into the services. And so uh, one year they gave away a TV, and the next year they gave away a, uh, you know, a, an Xbox, and then there was one year where they actually gave away a car. And the joke around my church among all the pastors uh, was that you couldn't get any of the pastors to go to Grace because they were all at this church trying to win a new car. Have you ever related to God as a means to an end? And maybe the end is to get you a date or to get you a mate or to get you success or to get you a God knows what, you know, anything. Have you ever, have you ever related to God as, as a means to an end? It takes some searching to really ask yourself this question, right? It's sort of an under-the-surface, piercing sort of question, now, of course, Jesus finds this offensive. God finds it offensive when you use him. But, but I think what we're going to learn today is that this is not only offensive to God when we do this. It is actually impoverishing to us. It is bad for us when we use God in this way. And so uh, let's get into the passage, because in the passage, we're going to see a group of people 
that, that follow Jesus not because they want him, but because they want something from him. They're following around, him around, uh, and they're using him as a means to an end. Now, you know that we're in a series uh, on the miracles of Jesus. We've been going through the Gospel of John, uh, looking at the miraculous signs is what John calls them. And the thing about these miracles is that they're all, uh, they're not just, you know, naked displays of Jesus' power. Uh, every sign, every miracle is a pointer They're a window into spiritual reality. Every miracle is pointing us to Jesus. And it's very possible for a person to see the miracle, get get enamored with the miracle, and to miss the point of the miracle. And that's what happens here in the passage. And so uh, we're going to go through it, and I I want us to see three things here about these people, and hopefully it'll speak to us. Uh, We're going to see how Jesus uh, exposes the crowd And then he's going to exhort the crowd, and then finally he's going to offer something to the crowd. Three things, we're going to go through it today uh, in chapter 6. So uh, just, uh, this is a fascinating story. This is 24 hours after uh, one of Jesus' most famous miracles. It was the miracle where Jesus fed uh, 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. So this is essentially uh, the, 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 the lunch of a poor man. And Jesus takes this meager offering and he multiplies it and he, uh, he feeds five, at least 5,000 people because that's not counting women and children. He feeds all of these people with the food. They have an incredible feast and then there's 12 baskets left over. Incredible miracle. It's one of Jesus' most famous miracles. In fact, it's, it's mentioned in every single one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they all record this miracle. It's super famous, and it's super important. Last night, I was telling my boys the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And when I started the story, and I talked about Jesus and the loaves and everything, one of my sons says, Brent, we've heard this story before. And uh, it's true, they've heard it before, but listen, the Gospels tell it over and over again. This is a miracle that the Gospels uh, want us to know about. It's super, super important. It's a very, very famous story. Jesus feeds the crowds, and what's interesting is the crowds are are so dazzled by this miracle that they immediately immediately want to make Jesus their king. Uh, And and this is unsurprising, isn't it? You know, if you're living in a subsistence uh, culture and you don't know where your next meal is coming from and there are famines and bread is scarce, and here's a guy who can snap his fingers and bread comes out of thin air. Of course you want this guy to be your king. But Jesus will have nothing of that. They try to make him king, and Jesus disappears uh, down to the Sea of Galilee, and they go across the lake. Jesus gets away. And then there's this interlude where uh, we actually read this story at Christmas time on the lake of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. Uh, Jesus walks on the water. There's a storm. They, and he gets his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And where we pick up our story, uh, this is the sun has come up and the crowd is searching for Jesus, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? So here, get this, the, the crowd, they're clamoring for Jesus. They're in this frenzy. They want to find him. He's, he's fed them with 5,000, uh, they fed 5,000 people with loaves and fish. And, they, and it's kind of comical. They look at Jesus, oh, When did you get here, Jesus? Almost like, fancy meeting you here. No, they were looking for him. They were searching for him. These people were after Jesus. Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answers them, truly I say to you, you are not seeking me because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We'll stop there. 
So they're looking for Jesus. Oh, here you are, Jesus. And Jesus looks at them, and he, he pulls back the curtain, and he shines a spotlight into their hearts, and he says to them, you're not seeking me because you saw the signs that point to me. You're seeking me because I filled your belly with bread. You, you don't want a king, you want a chef. You don't want a master, you want a, a dispenser of spiritual goods and services. You don't want me, he says, you want what I can give you. He exposes their hearts. Now in the Gospel of John, uh, the, there are two types of people that follow Jesus. And John is very clear about this. There are the crowds and there are the disciples. And the, the disciples, these are people that follow Jesus. They're committed to him. They love him. They, they see value in him and his teachings. They want to apprentice under him. They want to follow him wherever he goes. But then there are an, another, there's another group called the crowds. And the crowds are not following Jesus because they see him beautiful. As beautiful, they see him as useful. They're following him from place to place because they want to get what Jesus offers them. They, these people want bread. And Jesus wants to take them to a new and better place. He exposes them because he wants them to follow him for a different reason. Now, as we said a couple weeks ago, I think all of us come to Jesus this way. We come to Jesus for what he can offer us. You know, maybe you've got a marriage problem or a parenting problem or a drinking problem or some other problem, and Jesus can help you. You want something from him. You want help. You want, uh, you know, you want change. You want something that Jesus has to offer. And all of us come to Jesus that way, but Jesus wants to take us to a new and better place. He wants us not just to see him as useful, but as beautiful. That's a true disciple. And so he's challenging the crowds. He's exposing them because he wants to change them. And then he gives them this exhortation. He, after he exposes them, he, he redirects them so that they would search for the right thing. And notice what he says. He looks at them and he says, do not, this is verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So he looks at the crowd, and he says, stop working for the bread that is perishing. He looks at these people that see him as a means to an end, and he says, stop working for the bread that's perishing. Now, what is Jesus doing there? Well, Jesus is not saying that their concern for bread is silly. He's not saying that, it's, that it is worthless and silly to care about where your next meal is coming from. In fact, when you read through the, the Gospels, uh, Jesus in another place says that, you know, he, he's the provider of your bread. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus actually says, come to me and look to me and say, give, give us this day our daily bread. He's the source of our bread. Jesus cares about our next meal. Right, Jesus Christ does care about meeting your physical needs. This is the point of the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. At the very least, the point, one of the most basic points of this miracle is that Jesus gives hungry people food. He cares about that. Uh, one of the reasons why we do things like our Father's table is because of miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. You know, Jesus cares about feeding hungry people. 
And when we go out, you know, on the west side of town and we, and we gather there and we, we cook, you know, we cook soup and we hand out hot dogs and we give people chips uh, and, and people come up to that little booth there, uh, we are serving people in the name of Jesus. We are bringing the kingdom of God in Batesville as it is in heaven because Jesus Christ cares about people's physical needs. He feeds people. He's not telling them, don't be silly. Why do you care about your meal? Why do you care about bread? No, Jesus cares about your bread. And if you are living hand to mouth, and if you are worried about where your next meal is coming from, Jesus cares about that. So why does Jesus look at them and say, stop working for the food that perishes? What he's saying is he's saying, you're working so hard, you are seeking bread like the same way that you seek for God. You know, you're, you're kind of ignoring me and you're so focused on this bread. Your, your whole life is, is, is revolving around this physical need and I'm telling you, you've got a deeper need than that. Do not make your quest for physical and material needs your ultimate quest. Why is that? Well, because Jesus says there are two reasons why. He says, because number one, bread perishes. Don't seek for, don't just search for bread that perishes, he says. Now, what does he mean, bread that perishes? Well, number one, it's bread that doesn't last, right? Physical bread, you know, the, the loaves, those things, they don't last. You know, you cook them, and they're gone, and you need, and you need another one. And he says, don't spend your whole life uh, looking for things and searching for things that aren't going to last ultimately, uh, the other morning, I made uh, waffles for my boys. It took me about three hours to make these things. They were gone in five minutes. And that's the way physical bread is. He says, don't spend all of your life caring and, and, and worrying about physical bread. That sort of bread, it's important, but it doesn't last. And that's true about every material thing, like a job or a, you know, a paycheck or food and clothing. These things are all very, very important, but they're not gonna last. And Jesus says, what a tragedy it would be if at the end of your life you look back on it all and you've been working all of your life, you've been spending all of your energy and it's consuming all of your time and, and you're caring about things like food and clothing, very, very important, but they're not gonna last ultimately. He says, don't labor for stuff like that. A house, a, you know, a car, you will not take any of this with you when you die. You know, nobody, a hearse never pulls a U-Haul truck behind it. Don't labor for that which isn't going to last. But he's also saying don't labor for that which does not satisfy you. He says, yes, you need bread. Yes, you need all sorts of material things. But I'm telling you, don't spend your life on those things as your ultimate quest because they will not satisfy your soul. In that day and age, uh, bread was a basic staple of a person's diet. When we think about bread, what do we think of? Carbs. That's what we think of. <laughs> Many of you avoid bread because you want to get thin. But in that day and age, that was the basic staple of human life. Like I said, these were subsistence farmers. And they planted grain and they harvested the grain and they worked so hard to get this main basic staple. This is the, the, the basic element of human life and Jesus says you've got a deeper need. And if you spend all of your life chasing after bread, you will ne never be satisfied. 
He said, it, it doesn't matter. I could multiply bread again and I could multiply it and multiply it so that you have all the bread you could ever want. And your billy, belly, belly, will be full, but you will still be empty. This sort of bread, material stuff, does not satisfy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He put it this way. Here's how he put it. He says, most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want something acutely that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in the world that promise to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. And so many of us, Jesus says, you know, whether it's bread or clothing or a job or success, we are looking to things to satisfy us that will not make good on that promise. Nothing in this world will satisfy your deepest spiritual needs. And if you're doing this like Mick Jagger, you're gonna say, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try, but nothing in this world will fill that void. It'll leave you empty. Don't labor, don't spend all of your life working for things that aren't ultimately gonna satisfy you. So often it's when we get those things that we realize how empty they are. There's a, a scene in The Great Gatsby, that book, where Gatsby's this wealthy man and he's, he's got everything this life has to offer. He's got money, he's got a big mansion on the shore in, in Rhode Island. He's got everything. But then he thinks, you know, I'm not satisfied. I just, that, that missing thing, it's just not there. And he begins to fixate on this woman, Daisy. I've got everything, but maybe I'm empty because I need her. And so he goes searching after Daisy. He, he wants her so bad. And there's this little symbol in the book of Daisy. She's, she's across the sound. Her, her house is over there. He goes out on his, his, uh, his back porch every night, and he looks across the bay, and he sees the green light at the end of her dock. Oh, that green light, that's what I need. That's what I want. If I could only get that, then I'd be satisfied. Well, the book goes on, and he finally gets Daisy. He finally gets her then he finds that she's not enough. Like everything, she's not enough. And there's this great little line at the end of the book where it says, it finally occurred to him, Gatsby that is, that the colossal significance of that green light had now vanished forever. Now it was again a green light at the end of a dock. His count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. So for these people, it's bread is the enchanted object. Bread is that one thing, if we could only get our hands on that, we won't be, we'll never worry again and our kids will be fed and we'll be okay. If we could only get that bread, and Jesus says, listen, you could have all of the bread that you want, but nothing in this world will satisfy your soul. That's the exhortation. He says, you're coming to me only for bread. I'm telling you, stop laboring, stop searching, stop clamoring for, the, for, for that which perishes. That bread is not gonna satisfy you. It raises the question, though, what is the bread that will satisfy? This is the point of the miracle. So notice Jesus goes on. He's gonna give them this amazing offer, and he gives us the same amazing offer. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but he says, for the food, and this is in verse 27, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, and then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said to him, then what sign do you do 
that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? What work do you perform? Our fathers uh, ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread that God For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's the point of the miracle. Jesus says, I I did this miracle. I fed you with loaves and fish, not so that you could go looking for more and more bread. That's not going to satisfy you. I fed you to point you to something else. I want to point you to another bread another source of satisfaction that will finally fulfill you. He calls this the bread of, of life or, or the bread which endures to eternal life. Now, what is, what is Jesus talking about here? Because the people don't really understand it. They think he's talking about some other physical bread. You know, they, they go back to Moses in the wilderness. You know, there's that miracle where uh, Moses fed the people in the desert with manna and uh, this was bread that literally came out of heaven and they say, oh, well, maybe he's like Moses. Yeah, give us bread from heaven. Give us some of that. That would be awesome. Some manna, a second manna feeding. Sure, that would be great. Do that, and then we'll believe, uh, believe in you. But Jesus is talking about something entirely different. When Jesus talks about bread that endures for eternal life, he's talking about the bread that will satisfy us. Jesus says, in my hands is a type of bread Spiritual bread, that if you feed on that, you will never be hungry ever again. It will satisfy your soul. And a key word here is the word eternal life. It's bread that he says endures for eternal life. Now the phrase um, eternal life in John's gospel is really important. What does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, uh, in, in the Greek language, there are two words for life. Uh, there's the Greek word bios, and then there's the Greek word zoe. And uh, when Jesus talks about uh, the bread that endures to eternal life, he's referring to the Greek word zoe. So bios, what is bios? This is physical life. This is, how do you know if you've got bios? You take your pulse. You, uh, you, know, you take your vital signs. It's, it's when you're living and physically breathing. This is bios. And if that's bios, then zoe is something a little bit different. It's more than physical existence. Zoe is really living. Zoe is uh, joy, satisfaction, uh, engagement, being, you know, using your gifts, feeling needed. This is what it means to really live. So, for, for example, uh, several weeks ago, my family... Months ago, actually, we went to Branson, and uh, we stayed in this really nice hotel. We usually stay in very average hotels, but this one was on sale. We, sale, we stayed in this nice hotel, and my kids love hotels. They love them. And so they went clamoring into the room, and we went in there, and they, my, my one son jumped on this plush uh, bed, and he switched on the TV uh, on the, some cartoon, and he looked over at me, and he said, Dad, this is the life. Now, what's he saying? He's not saying, Dad, I'm finally existing. <laughs> you know, I'm finally, I mean, sure, the bed maybe provided a little bit of bias, but what is he? He's talking about Zoe there. He's talking, he's saying, Dad, I'm really living. I'm t- joy, satisfaction, this is it. When Jesus talks about the bread that endures for eternal life, he's talking about a quality of life that Jesus is offering. 
And when we think about the offer of Jesus, when he says, I want to give you eternal life, don't just think about your physical bios going on and on forever. That actually wouldn't be very desirable. I mean, think about that. You know, the, the, you, the same physical you with all of your frustrations and all of your problems and all of your pains going on forever and ever and ever. That sounds more like hell to me. Eternal life is zoe. It is quality of life. It is really living. It's joy. It's satisfaction. And it's a life that it doesn't just start when you die. It starts now and it goes on forever and ever and ever. This is the offer that Jesus gives them. He's saying, I'm telling you, there's something so much better than physical bread. Sure, that'll help your bios, but I'm talking about Zoe. I'm talking about life starting now, going on forever. There was a a debate a while back between an atheist and and a Christian, and at one point they're debating, long, long debate, I listened to the whole thing. At the very end, the Christian looks at the atheist and he says, I know that you don't believe this stuff, I know it's hard to believe, but he said, um, wouldn't you, I know you can't believe it, but wouldn't you just want it to be true? And the atheist said, yeah, I guess that would be okay if like I could live forever, like you know, some sort of holy grail, my, my youth goes on. Yeah, I guess that would be great. He didn't understand Jesus' offer. It is life, it is joy, it is satisfaction. It's the end of the search. It's not only quality of life that he's offering, but notice it's personal life. Jesus, what he says here is he, he, they say, they, he finally gets their attention. Yes, we want this. We want this bread. Whatever it is, give it to us. And Jesus looks back at him, and what does he say? He makes this astounding, stunning statement that nobody else in the history of the world has ever made. He looks at them and he says, I am the bread of life. What is he saying? He's not just saying, I I can point you to the way. I can show you where life is found. He's saying, I am the life. I am the bread. This quality of life is in me. And Jesus wants him to get this point. He wants us to get this point. Notice over and over again, he says this. So verse 23, I'm sorry, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread. Verse 55, my flesh is the true food. He's saying, I want you to get this. This kind of life, it's not just some product that I offer. This sort of life is relational. It is found in knowing and being known by me. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus Christ is your satisfaction. Get this, please. The promise of the gospel is not just that you will have some amazing quality of life, it's it's that you may know a person and in knowing him, you find life. Life is in Jesus. Have you ever known a person that is so beautiful and so phenomenal that when you just get to know them, you feel like you're living? You know, maybe it's your spouse. You know, you just think, every year I get to know this person deeper and deeper and deeper, and they're my life. It's like their life to me. They're just to know them. They're so beautiful that to know them, I feel like I'm really living. Maybe it's your kids. You know, your kids are that person for you. Oh, their little personality, it's so beautiful and it's so amazing that just to know them is a privilege. And just to know them is life. In fact, I've got a friend, he named his little daughter Zoe. 
which means life. Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you where this life is found. It is found in knowing me because your deepest problem is relational. Here's the problem according to the Bible that you've got. At the very beginning, human beings, we were connected to God and we knew him. Our lives revolved around who God was and, and the life that he offers. But then we rebelled against God and we were severed from God's life and we've been empty ever since. We've been searching ever since. And Jesus says, here's the bread. It's come down. The life of God has come down from heaven again. And I'm gonna offer it to you, a relationship with your creator. In Jesus Christ, you find life. This is what you crave. So don't you see their problem? Here, Jesus is a means to an end, right? They want the bread. They're ignoring Jesus to get it. And Jesus says, when you ignore me, you're ignoring life. When your life starts to revolve around something else, whether it be career or money or, or some other achievement, he says, when your life begins to revolve around something else besides me, you are missing life. It's a tragedy. But when your life revolves around Jesus, here's what he's saying, is that he's saying, when, you're, when your life revolves around me, you find your reason for living. You're satisfied. The best thing about this life that Jesus offers is that it's free. What's so palpable in this passage is that Jesus says, listen, I've got life. You're missing it. I'm telling you you're missing it. It's in me. I've got this quality of life, this zoe, this joy, this thing that you've been looking for all of your life. And what do they say? What work do we have to do to get it? Everything else in life we have to work for. Just show us what it is and, and we'll work for it and, and, and we'll obtain it. We'll be able to get it. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You don't get this bread by working for it. It's free. But it's in me. You know, almost everything else that we put at, at the center of our life, we have to work for it, right? You, you know, Put, the, put career, at the, career at the center of your life and you make that the thing that you're tr- trying to get your satisfaction out of. Your career will eat you alive. It will. Put your kids at the center of your life. Oh yes, they're the ones, everything revolves around them. You will feel like a lousy parent most of the time. That burden of parenthood will eat you alive. The only thing that you can sit, put at the center of your life that won't drive you into the ground is Jesus. He says, I'm free, my life is free, my relationship is free. You don't have to earn to get me, and if you mess up, I will forgive you. I'm what you need. It's free for them, but notice at the very end, Jesus starts talking some weird things here. He he says, now, I'm giving you this life, but then he says, here's what I want you to do. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood then you will have this life. Now, what is Jesus talking about there? That sounds really gruesome. He's talking about his death. He's talking about the cost of this life that he came to give you. In order for you to get the life that he offers, he needs to lose his life. And this is true of almost anything that you eat. Right, you've got to crunch it, you've got to break whatever it is that you want to consume so that it could get you life. And in order to get the life that Jesus provides, He had to die, and he had to be broken. 
He says, here's the point of my miracle. Do you get it? What he's trying to do is he's trying to move us from being part of the crowd where really our life revolves around bread or some other thing and he wants to move us into disciples where everything orbits around him. He says, this is where life is found. There's a, an Old Testament scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah stands up, he looks at the people and he says, hear these great words. He says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Are you truly living? Are you experiencing the zoe that Jesus came to to bring you? Or are you consumed with something lesser? Jesus says you will never be satisfied until you learn the point of this miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 points us ultimately to the source of life. There's a great little quote I found this week. This is by Epictetus. He said, this is our predicament. Over and over again we lose sight of what is most important and what isn't. And there are many of you that are just clamoring over things that are not crucial. You're spending your energy and your life and your worship on that which will not satisfy. Don't miss it. Jesus says, I am the bread of of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this miracle which points to Jesus Christ as the bread God, we know that our our satisfaction, um, all all of our longings are fulfilled in you. And God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to stop searching, to stop laboring for that which will not satisfy us ultimately. God, help us put you at the center of our lives. We thank you for Jesus, which brought the life down from heaven, who gave his own life so that we may truly live. And I pray that we would live God, I pray that we would live. I pray that in all of our sorrow and in all of our struggles and in all of our lack, that we might feed on you and that whatever circumstance we're in, God, whatever it is, God, that we would be truly living. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.